1: Well, Merry Christmas. I'm sure most of you are familiar with the classic Christmas film, A Christmas Story. A Christmas Story is the saga of a little boy named Ralphie Parker who lived in Gary, Indiana in the 1950s. Ralphie had been drinking Ovaltine every day for months because he was saving the box tops. He wanted to send them in to get a little orphan Annie secret decoder ring. He needed the ring so that he could listen to the... Orphan Annie radio program and get the special clue and be able to solve the puzzle. Well, one day the rain came in. He was so excited when it arrived and he listened intently at the radio program waiting for the clue to come and and all of a sudden there was the secret code. He carefully jotted it down and then he made his way to the bathroom because he wanted to decode it in privacy and he began the decoding process. A suspense built as he decoded the first few words. Be sure to. Be sure to what, he wondered. Be sure to what? It's like the weight of the world was on his shoulders. He began to rapidly continue, feverishly, struggling to decode the rest of the message. Be sure to drink your Ovaltine. Drink your Ovaltine. That was the message He couldn't believe it. You know, it was a crummy commercial. He had been waiting for so long with such great anticipation only to be disappointed. I think there are a lot of us here today that would view much of this year with disappointment. It just has been what we'd call a disappointing year. And and it's not even over yet for some of you as as you're anticipating Christmas. This might be the first Christmas that you're going to spend alone, maybe in your whole life and you're disappointed about that. Others of you perhaps are disappointed by the fact that you can't celebrate our Christmas Eve service together with us, that we're doing this online. There's just a lot of disappointment these days. But I want to encourage us this Christmas season to focus on something that will not disappoint. At Christmas time, we celebrate one of what I consider to be the two greatest moments in history of humanity, we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ, the Son of God and God the Son, that the creator of the universe entered this world as a baby. It's just a remarkable thing. The other thing, of course, we celebrate is when Jesus Christ rose again from the dead. But concerning this Jesus, it, Paul, the apostle, wrote in Romans 10, 11, he said, whoever believes in him will not be Disappointed. Whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. He's saying you you won't regret trusting in Jesus Christ. You won't be disappointed. You won't be ashamed of the fact that you put your trust in him. Now, there are lots of reasons why Jesus will not disappoint, but I want to focus our thoughts this Christmas on a claim that Jesus made repeatedly over the three years of his public ministry. I think it's the claim he made more than maybe any other. It's found in John chapter eight and verse 12. And, and Jesus was speaking with the religious leaders. And here's what he said. He said, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will, walk, will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That was the claim. I am the, the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, In some ways, I think we could end right here, just this thought that as believers in Christ who have the light of the world within us, we'll never be ones who walk in darkness. And Jesus, of course, was not claiming to be just one light among many, he was claiming to be the light of the world. Now, I don't know about you, but I've never been a real fan of darkness. I think most of us as children, at some time or other, we asked our dad or our mom to leave the lights on because maybe we were afraid. Most of us like the light better than the darkness. As we get older, of course, we're not nearly as afraid of the dark, but I still prefer the light over the darkness. I remember an occasion a few years ago where I was staying at a cabin in the middle of nowhere. There were no cities anywhere around. I mean, this cabin was in the middle of nowhere and it was very, very dark out that night. There was a a deep, uh, thick cloud cover and the moon and the stars were blocked. It was just a very, very dark night. And I decided that evening that I wanted to go for a short walk. I really just wanted to get some fresh air. I didn't even take my flashlight with me because I didn't anticipate going for a very long walk. I just wanted to get out for a few minutes. And as I walked down the stairs to the cabin and began to make my way away from the cabin, I turned around at a certain point and realized that the only light I could see was the little bit of light that was coming out of the kitchen window. And I continued to walk. And I walked, I'm not sure how far, but I walked to a certain distance where I turned around and I looked back in what I thought was the direction of the cabin and I could see nothing at all. In fact it was completely pitch dark. Now some of you know that I'm a spec directionally challenged like if I get headed in the wrong direction I'm going to be in trouble and I realized I couldn't see a thing. I literally held my hand in front of my face within an inch of it and I could not see it at all. And I realized if I don't get back to the cabin, if I don't make sure I get back there soon I could be lost in this darkness. Thankfully I made it back, but I don't like the dark. Well, this Christmas, I'd like to focus on the fact that Jesus is the light of the world. The nation of Israel at the time of Jesus' birth was experiencing a darkness of its own. The Romans were in charge at the time and they ruled harshly. There was a godless tyrant by the name of King Herod who imposed heavy taxes upon the people. Life was hard, the people were not free. And then in addition to all of this, it was as if God had been silent for hundreds of years that no major prophet had arisen to speak for God. And so in the midst of this darkness, there was silence. It was in the midst of this dark time, though, that Jesus was born. And it's true that the light shines the brightest in the darkness. Isaiah spoke about this. He was a prophet who lived about 700 years before Jesus was born. In Isaiah 9 and verse 2, He talked about what it was going to be like for Israel when the Messiah Jesus would be born. Of course, he didn't know that the name of this Messiah would be Jesus at the time. But in Isaiah 9 and verse 2, we read, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. Look at the description of this thing. It talks about the fact they're walking in darkness. It talks about the fact they're living in the land of darkness. And then all of a sudden, there was a bright light that began to shine. And this light, of course, was Jesus. A light was dawning in the darkness. I've always loved the Christmas carol that we just sang. In fact, hands down, it's my favorite Christmas carol. Oh, holy night. Oh, holy night, it goes. The stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error, pining. The word pining means aching. So the world is aching under sin and error till he appeared. And the soul felt its worth, its value. A thrill of hope. And these are the phrases that tie in with what I'm talking about here today. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices. For yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. That was what it was like when Jesus came in, a glorious morn that he was shedding upon all of creation. The gospel writer John began his gospel by focusing on Jesus as the creator of all things. And then he focused on the fact that Jesus was the light of the world and also life. Beginning in verse three of John chapter one, John said all things were created through him, through Jesus and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. Life was in him, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, yet the darkness did not overcome it. I love the fact that light is so much stronger than darkness. If you, if you have a dark room, if this room were completely without any lights at all, just a tiny light would make a difference, it would, it would dispel the darkness. I have on my key ring, or just a tiny little flashlight. And even if it were pitch black in here by turning on that light, I would be able to see because the light dispels the darkness, which is what Jesus came in the world to do. Now today, as we think of Christmas, I wanna make three encouraging observations related to Jesus being the light of the world. The first one is this, that the light makes it possible for us to see. And I'm capitalizing in my notes the word light because I'm referring to Jesus. The light, Jesus, makes it possible for us to see, and seeing really matters. Several years ago, for one reason or another, I spent the night sleeping in a back bedroom instead of the bedroom I share with my wife I think I was sick or something, I don't remember. But in this back bedroom, there are two beds. And one of the beds is resting upon a metal frame that has four L-shaped legs coming down from it. I think most of you have probably seen beds like that before. A strong metal frame, the mattress sets on it, but the legs are shaped like an l well, at one point when I was in that back room, I needed to get up and I walked by that second bed, the one with the metal frame, and I caught my little toe right in that L. And wow, did it hurt. It felt like I almost ripped off that toe. I quickly turned on the lights so I could see and the toe was okay. There was just a little bit of a, a, little bit of a cut there and I was thankfully fine. I went back to bed. An hour or two later, I got up and I did exactly the same thing. I was rushing around that second bed and I caught my little toe right in that L-shaped leg and it put a huge gash there between the little toe and the next one. I couldn't believe it. I wondered if I'd have to get it stitched up. Now, why did this happen? Well, it happened because I couldn't see where I was going. You know, they say we have at least five senses, maybe more. We have the sense of sight, we have the sense of smell, we have the sense of hearing, we have the sense of taste, and we have the sense of touch. I don't know about you, but for me, the the sense of sight is the most important. If I lost my sense of smell, it it would not be a big deal. I wouldn't want to lose it, of course. But compared to sight, I want to see. And this is true in a physical sense. It's more true, I think, in a spiritual sense. Speaking about Jesus being the light of the world, let's read verse five again from John chapter one, where John wrote, "The light that shines in the darkness or the light shines in the darkness, yet the darkness did not overcome it." This verse, of course, is talking about spiritual darkness. John chapter 12 and verse 46, John continued, I have come, and he's quoting Jesus, I have come as a light into the world so that everyone who believes in me would not remain in darkness. I'm convinced that all of us being born in a sinful world are born in darkness. The Apostle Paul actually talked about the fact that we're spiritually dead. What does it mean to be in darkness spiritually? A scholar by the name of Reichen explains in the Bible Darkness signifies error or ignorance. You know, you you sometimes would say someone's blind or ignorant. Sin, rebellion, and death. In other words, it's everything that's opposed to God. I would define spiritual darkness as a life separated from God, and the reason we're separated from God is because we're in our spiritual sin. When we're spiritually dark, we cannot see our own condition, when we're spiritually dark, we do not understand who Jesus was and what he came to do. We do not see properly. Toward the end of Jesus' ministry, <clears throat> Jesus healed a man who had been born blind. The religious leaders confronted Jesus about this particular miracle because he had performed it on the Sabbath day and you weren't supposed to work on the Sabbath day and they viewed healing as work. Jesus used this man's physical blindness, the fact he'd been born blind, to illustrate the fact that these religious leaders were spiritually blind, that they could not see. They couldn't see their sinfulness, they could not see their brokenness, they could not see Jesus for who he was and what he came to do. In a word, they didn't know God. They were still in their sin. Now at the time that Jesus provided light or sight to this guy who had been born blind, there was a feast that the Jewish people were celebrating. It was the Feast of Tabernacles. And part of what it, this feast involved <clears throat> was the lighting of these huge lamps. In Jesus' day, they had these huge lamps. They may have been menorah, and you know, with the branching out lights. They were 75 feet tall. They were massive, and they produced a great amount of light. They'd send a little boy up there to light these lamps. The idea was that these lights could be seen throughout Jerusalem. It was right within the context of this that Jesus said he was the light of the world. He was saying, I'm the one that illuminates the whole world. We read again in John 8 and verse 12, Then Jesus spoke to them, I'm the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And I'm convinced only Jesus is able to provide for us spiritual sight. He alone is the light of the world. But light, the light of the world, is important for a second reason. Not only does it make it possible for us to see, but light makes it possible for us to live. You can't have life without light. This is true both physically and spiritually as well. John in his gospel began his gospel with the words, In the beginning was the word. And John was clearly pointing back to creation, where back in Genesis, the book of Genesis starts exactly the same way. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But you may remember that the first thing that God did on day one of creation is, He said, Let there be light. Now it wasn't until day four that God created the sun and people have struggled about that. They say, well, how could you possibly have light when the sun wasn't created until day four? Well, it's because Jesus is the light of the world. Somehow Jesus expanded his glory to the universe so it wasn't pitch dark anymore and then God created the sun and the moon to provide seasons for us and a way to account for time. But the point I want to make here today is that light was important before you could have the rest of life, all the things that God created. Reading John 8, 12 again, I want us to note the word life. He said, I'm the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have, and then he says, the light of life. Life. On 1, 3, and 4, again, John made a similar claim about Jesus. He said, all things were created through him. And apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. And then he said, life was in him, and that life was the light of men. That this light that Jesus provided was also the thing that gave us life itself. He's the author. Both of these things, light and life, I have two plants next to me over here. And <clears throat> these two plants came from a little area on the left-hand side as you walk up the stairs of my house. There's, there's a little shelf area there. I would call it a cubby hole that's put there. So if you walk through my front door, the stairs are there. As you're walking up the stairs, halfway up you'd see on the left-hand side this little cubby hole and you can put four or five plants there. And there's a light, a recessed light there as well that keeps the plants alive. Now, the the plants that I have here today are significant for me. The smaller of the two plants was a plant that I got from my dad's funeral. Uh, The taller of the two plants here was a plant that I got from my mom's funeral. And so both of these plants are very important to me, very significant to me, but something else is kind of significant about these plants how long they've lived. Uh, The little plant here has lived between two and three years. That's how long it's been alive. The taller one here though has been around for about 25 years. Now, I'm not the best at plants. I admit I'm not the best at caring for plants. I know someone that is. She's just amazing with plants. I'm not good with plants all I have done with these plants basically is just water them. I just make sure that they get the water they need. The rest of it is they just grow, but an essential part of their growth, the thing that gives them life is the light. You know, these plants will reach out for the light. You see them, the leaves reaching up for the the light because the light, now I recognize, of course, the water is essential to live as well. But I'm making the point that they would die without the light, there's a connection between light and life. Now, Jesus wants to provide for us eternal life and an abundant life. One of the verses I quote most often in my talks is John 3.16, where we read, God so loved the world he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have, what, eternal life. Those who put their trust in Jesus Christ are given the gift of eternal life. But Jesus also said he came to give us an abundant life. In John 10 and verse 10, we read, I have come so that you may have life and have it in abundance. In other words, have a full life. This is what Jesus is able to give to us. And just like a plant thrives when it's under the light, so do we. And so light makes it possible for us to see and it makes it possible for us to live as well. But let me offer a final point here today. The light makes it possible for us to shine. I've always been fascinated by the fact that the moon can be so bright when it has no life in itself. You know what I mean by that? Sometimes when the moon is full, you can go outside at midnight or two in the morning and there's enough light for you to see where you're walking. It's quite remarkable, but what's odd about that is that the moon, and this is from a non-scientific perspective, but the moon is just a round rock. There's no life or light within it. You say, well, then why does it shine? Well, of course, it's reflecting off the sun. And so when you see the moon shining, then you know somewhere out there there's got to be a sun as well because that light did not come from itself. Jesus Christ within us makes it possible for us to shine. Just like he said, He's the light of the world. We can be lights in this world. <clears throat> Recently I've been reading from the Old Testament and I came across this story where Moses went up on Mount Sinai for the second time to get the Ten Commandments and the rest of the laws. And he spent forty days up there and he, he saw God. He was in the presence of God for these forty days. At a certain point, Moses came down from the mountain, and what he didn't realize is that his face was glowing. He was shining. And it kind of freaked everybody out because Moses comes down and they say, look at, look at his face, he's shining. Well, Moses began to wear a veil to cover that, partly, I think, because the, the shine was probably distracting for people to see his face shining. But there's another reason why he covered his face it began to fade. The glory, the light he had had when he was in the presence of God began to fade. And he didn't want people seeing that fade. Well, the Apostle Paul refers to this story in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and verse 18. And he talks about the fact that we as Christians, our glow, our light doesn't fade. It actually goes from glory to glory. Listen to these, these words in 2 Corinthians 3, 18. He says, we all with unveiled faces, as opposed to Moses, we all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord, at the glory of Jesus. And he says, we're being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. That's what's happening to us. As we look to Christ, we go from glory to glory. And this is why Jesus said in Matthew 5, 14, he said, you are the light of the world. But what does that look like to be a light in this world? Well, there are a couple of ways in which that's reflected. One of them is mentioned in Matthew 5, 16, where Jesus said, in the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. One way we show our, our light is by doing good deeds. And then it says it'll bring glory to God the Father. Why? Well, just like with the sun and the moon, people will see that the good things we do are born out of our faith in God, our faith in Jesus Christ. And so we need to let our light shine in that way. But there's a second way in which we need to let our light shine. Throughout the New Testament, we have verses that talk about living in the light and not in the darkness. For example, the apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians 5, 18, or Ephesians 5, 8 through 11, He said, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the the Lord. Walk as children of light. Now, what does that look like? He goes on to say, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness. The word there means generosity or kindness. Second, he says righteousness, doing what's right, avoiding what's wrong, and truth, which means integrity, walking in integrity. Then he goes on to say in verse 10, discerning what is pleasing to the Lord. Really walking in the light is walking in a way that pleases our Savior, that brings joy to his heart. Paul then went on to say in verse 11, don't participate in the fruitless deeds or works of darkness, but instead expose them. Paul was saying simply that we need to live differently as children of light, Now I want to summarize what we've talked about so far and then in a few minutes I want to give you some applications. Jesus Christ is the light of the world. He's the source of light of all creation but he wants to be our light as well. The light of the world is the one who makes it possible for us to see. He's the one that makes it possible for us to live, to have spiritual life. He's the one that makes it possible for us to shine. But how would this be fleshed out in our lives? Well, I want to talk about that in a minute. Before the meantime, I just want to offer this suggestion that we let the light shine. Let the light live in us. in Jesus Christ, if you know you already have a relationship with God through faith in Him, I'd like to offer three applications for you. First of all, I want to encourage you not to succumb to the darkness around us. It is like a dark time right now, and I want to encourage you to focus your attention on Jesus. I'm reminded of the story of Peter, that when he was in the storm and walking on the water at a certain point, he looked around at the storm, he took his eyes off Jesus, and he began to sink. We need to keep our focus in the right place. Secondly, I wanna encourage you to stay close to the light. In other words, fellowship with Him. Just as these plants will thrive when the light is on, the same thing is true with us. The Apostle John wrote that we need to abide in Christ if we're to bear much fruit. It's based on our relationship with Him. And so we stay connected with Jesus Christ and we, we continue a close relationship with Him. And finally, I wanna encourage you to walk in the light as we talked about that being fleshed out in a couple different ways. One is through serving, but second is living differently than the darkness of this world. Again, quoting from Ephesians 5, 9, the apostle Paul said, for the fruit of the light results in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And John put it this way in 1 John 1, 7, he said, but if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of jesus his son cleanses us from all sin we learn of course how to walk in the light from the example of jesus found in the gospel accounts now there are some of you here that are watching this though that have don't know where you stand with god maybe you don't know if you have a relationship with jesus christ and i want to encourage you to turn to the light because i'm convinced that he is the answer god sent his own son into this world to to die in our place and for our sin. That's why he came. That's why he came through an incarnation, such a unique birth, because he was the Son of God and God the Son. He lived a sinless life so that he could take upon himself the sin of the world, the sinless one for the sin of the world. God executed judgment on him and he died, but then he rose from the dead. It proves that his payment on our behalf was accepted by God and we need to put our trust in him, that's the starting point. John, when he talked about how Jesus was the creator and how he was the light of the world in life, he describes a few verses later in John chapter one, the response of the people. Beginning in verse nine, he said, the true light who gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was created through him, yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own. And his own people did not receive him. And here's the verse that applies to all of us. But to all who did receive him, he gave the right to be children of God to those who believe in his name. Whoever receives him, to those who believe in his name, God gives the privilege to become children of God. And so if you today recognize that you have a spiritual need, that there's a spiritual darkness within you, and you wanna put your trust in Jesus Christ who claim to be the light of the world and receive him as your savior and receive that gift of eternal life, I wanna encourage you to, to pray a prayer. It's not the prayer itself that makes the difference, but the faith behind it. And so I wanna close my comments with this prayer that I encourage you to pray in your own heart to God, even using your own words if you want. The prayer goes something like this, dear God, I know I have sinned. I know that there's a spiritual darkness within me, that I can't fix. And I do believe you sent your son Jesus to come into this world so that he might die in my place and for the things I've done wrong. I believe he rose again from the dead, defeating both sin and death, that you accepted God, the payment he made on my behalf. And so today I wanna receive Jesus Christ as my savior. Today I want to put my faith in him. Today I want to claim the promise you made in John chapter 3 where you said whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. I pray this in Jesus' name and because of what he did for me. Amen.